<laughs> oh, I love that movie. I probably had to watch that thing like five times in prepping for this season, and I loved it every single time. And I almost feel like I have to apologize, because every time we do at the movies, it's, part of it's an excuse for me to just subject you to the movies that I love. So Dumb and Dumber is one of those this year. And, it, you know, you watch Dumb and Dumber, it's hard not to love those two, Harry and Lloyd, you know. Uh, their intentions are often good, but they just kind of stumble their way through life. They're not very sharp. You know, and the movie begins, and they really don't have anything going for them, right? They got no food. They got no jobs. Their pets' heads are falling off. And then by just this random set of events, these circumstances, they stumble across a briefcase full of money, and overnight their life changes. And all of a sudden, all the obstacles, you know, kind of go away. They can afford all the things they ever wanted, the, the food, the money, the accommodations, the car. Will they get the girl, you know, and it's just, it's random, it's fun, and you kind of get to see what happens uh, when they have all the doors open, you know. Right, so as we begin this morning, I want to just kind of pose a question to you for us to begin with, and that is, I want you to just imagine for a moment uh, that you had unrestricted access to God, and He promised to answer all of your prayers in the affirmative. Right, as long as it wasn't explicitly evil, and as long as it didn't directly contradict His character or nature, uh, He would say yes to all of your prayers. Right, think about what kind of things you would have the way that you would live, what you would ask for. All right, the verse that we're going to start out looking at this morning uh, is, is a passage that, that Jesus, uh, is a time Jesus said something that actually sounded an awful lot like this promise. And believe it or not, there's actually been entire tribes, small tribes, but tribes within Christianity that have kind of adopted this idea. And this is what it says. This is in uh, John 14, uh, verses 13 and 14. It says this, Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for, and get this, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. All right, pretty incredible promise, right? So if you ask in Jesus' name for the job, you get the job, right? If you ask in Jesus' name, in the right way maybe perhaps, or with enough faith or whatever, for the promotion or to land the deal, you get the promotion, you land the deal. If you ask in Jesus' name to get the girl, you get the girl. Right? Pretty, a pretty uh, incredible promise. And of course, the question is, in this series, is, is we're digging into these misinterpreted passages. And the, the question is, is this really what Jesus meant? Right? And I think for most of us, uh, we kind of intuitively, even if you're not a religious person, we intuitively know that that can't possibly be what Jesus meant. Because if you've prayed for any length of time, you know that's just not the way that it works, right? That's, that hasn't been my experience. Has it been your experience? Uh, I, it hasn't been the experience of anybody I've ever, I've ever known. And so we know this, but, but interestingly, unanswered prayer remains one of the top reasons that people walk away from the faith, right? They, they plead with God for something. They beg God for something, and God doesn't come through for them. And it happens enough times that, that eventually they walk away. And I'll tell you, as a pastor who sits in counseling meetings with a lot of people, even people who don't bail on faith, but people who have grown up in the church or are part of the church, this remains one of the biggest struggles in areas of confusion. You know, and in some ways, for some of us, because and, and let's be honest, this is a fair frustration, because sometimes the way God answers prayer feels pretty random. 
right? I don't know if you've ever prayed and asked God for something kind of ridiculous, and you knew it was ridiculous when you kind of threw it up there, and then God came through for you. I'll never forget when we were beginning this church in the early days, uh, you can imagine we were pretty broke, Uh, not that we're rolling in cash anymore, we're still a young church, but we were very young, very small church, and, you know, we, had, we were a family of four, and I think we made like $27,000. That was our total household income. So things were tight. We'll just say things were tight. We had a very tight budget. And so I remember I went to the gas station one day, and uh, I was going in uh, because we had a very tight budget, and I didn't have enough money to fill up the car all the way. I, I was, this was a budget, so I had like $10. So I went in to tell the clerk, $10. I'm waiting in line, and I see the lottery tickets, right, the scratch lottery tri- tickets. And I remember having the thought, you know, God... You can, you can provide in any way that you want. You know, there's no reason that you can provide for us like through a scratch lottery ticket. So uh, I just pray that you would, right? Just, just, just bless us through this scratch lottery ticket. Amen. You know, and I got it and I went out and I went to fill my car and I sat down in the car and I scratched it off, scratched it off, scratched it off and I won 60 bucks. It's the first lottery ticket I ever bought. And I remember just being so pumped and I praised God for it. And, uh, you know, and I even chuckled to myself because I knew I was an idiot, you know. <laughs> but, like, I attributed it to God, you know. It's like, thanks. Like, let's just keep this up, you know. And for the record, it's never happened again. I've tried a couple more times. You know, and, and the truth is, God may not have had anything to do with that. could just be a coincidence, you know. I'm going to venture to guess the lottery ticket prayer. God gets a lot of those. Doesn't usually say yes. Um, and truth be known, I hadn't really like gone to, like, I wasn't passionate about this. I hadn't been persistent in prayer. It was just a thought and a whim and I got 60 bucks. All right. But here's the rub. And I think it's the rub that, that probably illustrates the rub for a lot of us is not that long after that, I got a phone call from a couple that were part of Mosaic and they were expecting a child in just a few weeks. And the doctors were picking up stuff on the ultrasound that, that was scary. And they asked us to pray for him. And so we sent out a message to the church, and we began praying, like really praying for this couple and pleading with God for them. And then they went in the next week and come to find out there was no heartbeat anymore. You know? And I remember sitting in the hospital with them and uh, just weeping with them. And I'm holding this beautiful little girl in my arms who had a heartbeat just two weeks earlier. You know? And, And... And that's the rub for me, at least, is why is it that God seems to, at times, answer superficial prayers over here and not answer substantial prayers over there? Right? Is it all, is it all just random? You know, is praying kind of like playing like spiritual bingo? Sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you're not. You know, is it as random as every now and then you stumble across a cash, briefcase full of cash but most of the time you don't. You know, and what I want to submit to us this morning and just kind of put on the table is that uh, while, there, while prayer is inherently mysterious, uh, it, while it's beautiful, powerful, and, and inherently mystical, and while there's, while there's many things that we will probably never know and understand about prayer, it's not random. And in fact, there are many things that that we can actually know. And so this morning, what I want to do is I actually want to look at five different variables, five things that, that, that actually affect, at times, the way that God receives our prayers. 
and the way in which he answers. And, and we could actually spend a whole morning talking about the variables we can't control. Right? We could talk about the physical laws of nature. You know, we could talk about uh, the spiritual realm and, and the fact that in the spiritual realm, this battle that's going on, that, that we're not the only ones with free will. Right? We could talk about the, the free will of other people and how that affects at times uh, the answers to what we pray for. But I don't want to spend this morning doing that. What I do want to talk about is five things that, that we actually do have a hand in that affect the way that God answers our prayers at times. All right? so, so if you're taking notes, number one, all right, your relationships matter. Right? When you come to God in prayer, your relationships matter. Listen to this. This is Mark eleven twenty four. It says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Right? Amazing promise. And then in verse 25, uh, and we're going to come back to that, by the way. And verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, what are we supposed to do? If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. Why? So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Right? Big implication. Right? And so if you're coming to God before prayer and you have got, you're ticked at that person, you know, or you are, you are harboring bitterness towards that person over there, or you know that they're harboring bitterness towards you, or there's any unresolved conflict at all, Right? We should actually stop praying in that moment and go and do everything we can to be reconciled to that person, to make it right, and then get back to praying. Right? It, it, it's a huge thing. Evidently, right, our relationships matter big time to God when we pray. Right? And, and just confessing to you as a pastor, this is one of, the, one of the reasons, and there's other reasons, but this is one of the reasons it really it breaks my heart, it bums me out when people are part of a church and they get their feelings hurt, Right? Or there's conflict that's unresolved, and their instinctive reaction is to bail, right? which is always the easiest thing, to leave and to go. Because in that moment, what they don't realize is not only does it hurt the church they were a part of, and not only does it probably hurt the church they're going to go be a part of, but it hurts them. It hurts them like more than they know. It's get, it gets in the way. Right? And for some of you, you might have came to Mosaic from another church, and there's unresolved conflict, and you know it. And just so you know, if that's you, you've got work to do, right? Because when you do that, right, it, it stunts spiritual growth. It gets in the way. It works against the unity of the body. But also, this passage suggests that it actually, potentially, uh, gets in the way. It gets in the way of our prayers. And, and if you think about it this way, for those of us who are married, or if someday you want to be married, right, this has, this has pretty big implications for those of us who are married. And in fact, the Bible actually speaks specifically to this, <coughs> husbands, uh, you're going to want to get this one, all right? And wives, just try to keep the elbows to a minimum. 1 Peter 3, 7. This is the message translation. It says this. The same goes for you, husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them. Delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. But in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wives then as equals so your prayers don't run aground. Right? Other translations say, so your prayers will not be hindered. Right? Just as a moment of complete transparency, um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I am far from perfect. Uh, if you're looking for a church that's pastored by a perfect pastor, this is not your church, just so you know. Uh, this was one of those hard weeks for us, like in our home. I asked Megan's permission to share this. Uh, you have weeks where everything glides well, and there's skipping and music, you know, uh, and then there's weeks like the ones we had this week where it's just hard. And uh, we had some serious 
like fire, conflicts, arguments in our home. And, uh, and as far as our conflicts go, I did not handle myself well. And so there were days this week where Megan was not happy with me. Uh, and there were days when I was not happy with her, right? We've all been there as one of those weeks. But when we read this through the scope of prayer and our connection to God and his answers to us, right, what this passage suggests is that when we have weeks like that, days like that, moments like that, that the timeline on which we are working towards reconciliation, right, and making those things right is incredibly, incredibly important as it relates to prayer. Right, your relationships, they matter greatly to God when you pray. Right, number two, your motives matter. Your motives matter to God when you pray. This is James 4.3. He said this. He said, when you ask, you do not receive. Because sometimes, what are you doing? Right, you're asking with the wrong motives. Right, if you're familiar with the Gospels, Jesus, Jesus really got in the Pharisees' face on this one uh, a number of times. Because they would pray these incredible, long, eloquent prayers. I don't know if you've ever known somebody that when they pray, they're so good at it, it just kind of makes you mad. You know, like, if you ever had that? Like some of you have told me you feel that way about me. Just so you know, there are people I'm around, and I feel that all the time. I'm like, I'm so bad at this. Right, and the Pharisees would get up and they'd do this, and they would go on and on and on and impress everybody with their linguistic skills and their vocabulary. And yet their motives was they wanted to be admired. They wanted people to sit, think that, exactly that. Oh, wow, that guy can pray. You know, and Jesus, Jesus calls them out and gets in their face. Right? And he says, like, look, you can actually, at times, you can pray for the right things and pray in the wrong way because your heart's wrong. Right? Just as you can actually pray for the wrong things and have the right motives and intentions. Right? And so I'll never forget, like, it had to be a year or two ago. Was it, Megan, like a year or two ago? Uh, <laughs> we were praying. This was when Megan, before she was out working outside the home, she's still a full-time stay-at-home mom. And so for those of you who have done that, you know how incredibly hard it is. Right? Megan's full-time outside the house now, and she says it's so much easier than being a stay-at-home mom. So much easier. And we were praying one night, uh, and I don't think I was there right, for this one. I wasn't there. And they're praying, and the girls are praying. And they said, thank you, Jesus, for our dad, who's so hardworking. Right? And so we can have a house and a car and our clothes and this food. And thank you, Jesus, for mom. Even though she doesn't work hard, we love her. <laughs> and Megan goes, time out. <laughs> Interrupts the prayer. It is a teaching, te- this is a teachable moment, you know. And uh, <laughs> yeah, let me list the ways, you know. Uh, one of those things, you know, you can, you can pray the wrong things with the right heart. And Jesus is saying, look, you can actually pray all of the right things with the wrong heart. And it really matters when it, when it comes to how God receives our prayers. In fact, this is Proverbs 16, 2 says this. It says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives, the motives, are weighed by the Lord. Your motives matter to God. So when you pray, when you're you're asking God for something, the reason why, the why behind it, it matters a lot. It really does. In fact, if you go back to our verse that we started with, you know, it seems to, at first glance, it almost seems like Jesus has just given us the briefcase. You know, he's just like, hey, ask it in my name and it's yours in the second half of the verse, but in the first half of the verse, it says the reason for which we're given this promise, the reason that God answers prayer, and it says, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Right? In other words, I'm going to answer prayers. I'm going to, be, I'm going to give you the ability to do things you could not do on your own, and I'm going to provide richly, but it's not just for your enjoyment. That's part of it. 
the primary reason is to give God glory, to point everybody to our creator because that's what people need most. Right? So as you pray, right, such an important filter to put it through. Why am I asking this? Right? If, if there's selfish motives, just admit that. You know what I mean? And, and in some sense, there's always mixed selfish motives. But your motives matter deeply to God when we pray. Number three, if you're taking notes, uh, this is a big one uh, and one that often gets misunderstood. James 1, uh, your, your faith matters. Right? Your faith matters to God when you pray. James 1, verses 6 and 7. Right? When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And that person should not expect what? That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Right? Did you catch that? Right? In other words, our faith, your faith, moves the heart of God. And that can go two, two different ways. Right? And so in Matthew 8, there's an account of a Roman soldier who comes to Jesus. And he says something to Jesus that really blows Jesus away. And he says, look, I've got a servant who's sick, and I want you to heal him. And he says, look, you don't even need to step foot in my house or touch the guy. I'm a commander of soldiers, no matter where I am. I tell them what to do. They fall in a line, obey me. He says, I get it. I know, like, I get who you are. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus is blown away. In fact, he he says, says, "Let uh, let it be done according to your faith. And he says, I haven't seen faith like this all over Israel. This is a Roman soldier. He says, let it be done according to your faith, according to what you, you believe. And we don't know anything about the servant. He could have been an atheist. He could have been, you know, worshiping another god. We have no idea. But apparently the faith of the Roman soldier was enough to provide the healing. Now, the interesting thing is sometimes it works the other way, right? Where it's the, actually the faith of the person who's being prayed for. And so Jesus, you know, he's healing people all the time. And he's saying, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. And then, in fact, there's another point where Jesus is back in his hometown doing ministry. And the lack of faith of the people there prevents him from actually doing miracles. And we read this. It says, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Right? So, of course, the question for those of us who are rational people and trying to figure prayer out, right, is, well, why is it sometimes a person who prays, it's their faith that moves God's heart And sometimes it's actually the faith of the person who's being prayed for on the receiving end. That's the faith that moves God's heart and actually brings about the action. And the truth is, we have absolutely no idea. No idea, right? It remains a mystical thing. But what we do know is that faith matters. And faith is powerful. And it has the ability to move the heart of God. Now, I I feel like I need to say this because this is... There's a big misunderstanding here when it comes about faith. Because oftentimes, the way this gets translated, like what we think, and there's certain circles within Christianity, they just kind of perpetuate this misconception, is that faith is like psychological certainty. You know, faith is like if you you just muster it up, just, I believe, I know that I know that I know. You know, that if you can just get to that psychological certain place, that's what faith is. Like you fake it until you make it, and then you make it, and you don't have to fake it anymore. But the thing is, is like we don't... We don't find that anywhere. In fact, I heard a story this week uh, about a guy before he went to seminary. He was at Rice University, and he got caught up in this kind of a, a Christian a church that was teaching this kind of a thing. And so he decided, as a matter of faith and making himself psychological certain, he had really bad eyesight, and he decided to throw away his glasses because he's going to walk in healing. He was going to just pray it and claim it, and he just knew that he would be healed. 
And the poor guy, he got into two very serious car accidents within a month. And over the next six months, he almost flunked out of Rice University. You know, and, and the thing is, Jesus, he never teaches this foolishness. Where as Christians, our job, he never teaches your, your job is to pretend like something that is there isn't there. Or to pretend like something that isn't there uh, is there. That's not what he does. In fact, as it relates to faith, we actually get a definition in Hebrews of what faith actually is. And this is what we find. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, faith is the substance, right? The solidity, the reality, the substance of things hoped for and the assurance, or you could read there with the word there, conviction of things unseen. Faith is the substance, the solidity of things hoped for or the convi- and, and, and the assurance or conviction of things unseen. All right, so what faith is, you've got to get this, it's so important as it relates to prayer and having faith. What faith is, it's not psychological certainty. Right? What it is, is you have a mental picture, a vision in your mind right, of God's promise of this thing that God has spoken. And you, you, you dwell on it, you picture it. And what that produces in you is a conviction that then moves you to action, moves you to action in that direction. Right? And so, so for, just for an example, give this a little flesh. Right? So this, one of the things that we talk a lot about here is the kingdom of God. And one of the things that Jesus said over and over and over again is the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Right? He said, I am here to inaugurate the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is where God's reign and rule is made manifest everywhere. Right? It's the way creation was meant to be. It's the way that one day all of this will be. When we're reconciled to God, we're fully reconciled to each other, we're fully reconciled to creation. Right? There's no more pain or death or suffering. There is peace, there is justice, there is love. And our job as Jesus' people is to create previews of that kingdom, to, to live in the kingdom way, to partner with God in helping people see this different kingdom lifestyle where God is taking creation. But then things happen, right, that throw off sometimes where we're at. You know, and so like this week, you know, the images and the videos, what happened in France, right, another disaster, another loss of life. And this guy, right, goes full board with the truck, mows over, what was it, 70-some people, innocent people celebrating a national holiday, lost their lives. Right, and we see things like that and what can end up happening, what faith, un, like a lack of faith looks like, is to see stuff like that and say, and it's like clearly evil exists, continues to exist. Evil, injustice, death. A lack of faith would be to land, well, clearly Jesus was a lunatic or a liar or something, but he wasn't Lord. Because clearly the kingdom of God is far from here. That would be a lack of faith. Real faith doesn't pretend like that stuff doesn't, doesn't exist. Right, real faith instead holds on to that promise in your mind. What does the kingdom of God look like here? What has Jesus promised? And instead of being knocked off your rocker and just abandoning faith, beginning to look around at the expressions of the kingdom, the beauty that does exist. Right, and to, it, with that vision, to allow it to produce a conviction in you to continue to live in that kingdom way. So faith, right, faith uh, is vision. Faith is conviction. But faith is not psychological certainty. Right? When we pray, the faith, what we're doing, what's in our mind, what we're fixated on, it matters. It affects the way at times that God receives our prayers and responds. Number four, this is a biggie. Uh, your persistence matters. Your persistence. 
how willing you are to keep going to bat for that prayer. In fact, numerous times in the Gospels, Jesus is communicating this over and over and over to his disciples, saying, you got to keep praying. Don't give up. you got to keep praying. And let's be honest, right? as Americans, we're not very good at this one by nature. Right? We struggle this one. We, we don't like things slow. Right? We want things fast. We want our food fast. We want our coffee fast. We want our cars and commute and traffic fast. And Lord Almighty, we want our Wi-Fi fast, right? Amen? <laughs> right? Like, we don't like things slow. In fact, I remember there's a great story. A Russian comedian, uh, Yakov Smirnov, I'm not sure if he made the vodka or not, but he came uh, to the United States, and he said that the thing that he loved most about the U.S. was the grocery stores. And he said this, I'll never forget walking down one of the aisles and seeing powdered milk. Just add water, and poof, you get milk. And right next to it was powdered orange juice. Just add water, and poof, you get orange juice. And then I saw baby powder, and I thought to myself, what a country. (laughs) Right? This is just the way we are. We want an instant. We want it fast. And we're kidding ourselves if if we don't think it affects uh, the way that we pray. Uh, and, And, I mean, if you just think about it this way, if you just think about six months ago, what you were praying for, just six months ago, right? And how many of those things, or is there anything that you're continuing to get six months later go to God in prayer? Uh, for many of us, for some of us, I'm sure, uh, maybe we can't even think of anything, right? And it's a struggle. But Jesus says it over and over and over. Share stories. Uh, you know, the, the, the parable of the persistent widow. And, and uh, the, he tells a story about, um, he says, you know, if you had a, a, a neighbor and you had a friend come into town and you didn't have any food and you went to that neighbor's house in the middle of the night and you're pounding on the door saying, look, I have a neighbor who's come in from out of town. I don't have any food. Let me in. Jesus says, even though he's tired and his kids are in bed and he doesn't want to get up and he won't do it for friendship, if you just keep knocking, he's going to give you the food, right? And then he says, you know, this is God's heart. And by the way, he's actually a good neighbor, that God wants to give good gifts, but you've got to keep asking. And sometimes, sometimes it almost seems like God, he wants to give us this thing. He wants to answer the prayer. But at times it almost seems like he wants to, he wants to see whether we really want it or not. And then there's other times when we think about spiritual uh, battle and conflict, there's, there's other times, and as it relates, we're not going to go into this. Gosh, I wish we could, but we don't have time. When it comes to spiritual warfare and free will, that the persistence in prayer is actually necessary to bring about a yes. And so as we come to God in prayer, right, persistence matters. It affects the answer profoundly. Number five, last one, uh, your company matters to God when you pray. And what I mean when I say your company matters, I'm talking about the strength and the number of people who are praying for you, praying with you, right? And so I know I've, I've referenced it a couple times, and this, is, this makes some of us uncomfortable, and for some of us, this might be brand new. But I can assure you, biblically, it's true. And that is that whether we believe it, whether we acknowledge it, whether we live like it or not, uh, we live in a world at war. And I'm not just talking about the physical wars that happen here and there. I'm talking about a spiritual battle and war that is going on all the time. Or you and I were born into a war zone. And just as there are spiritual forces of good, angels and the God that we gather to worship every Sunday, there are also spiritual forces of evil that are always clashing. Or they're actually intervening in human affairs. They're trying to pull us away and others that are contending for us. And 
what we find is it actually, at times, has a profound effect on our prayers. And there are so many passages I could point you to. Um, but just, just a couple, super quick. Is there's a time that in the Gospels where Jesus sends his disciples out. And he says, I'm giving you my authority and power. And you can go and you can heal people. And you can drive out some of those spiritual forces that are, that are evil. And they go out and they are doing it over and over and over again. Right? And they come back and they're just amazed. They're like, Jesus, you weren't kidding. Like, we can heal. We can drive out demons. It's, this is incredible. And he's like, yeah, I'm Jesus, you know. Uh, and then there's this time, though, when they're not able to. Uh, they try. All of them together try. And they're not able to. And they come to Jesus and they say, why can't we drive this spirit out? And Jesus says, well, this particular kind can only come out through prayer. And the implication is through lots of prayer. Right? And some other manuscripts say through prayer and fasting. Right? And so the, the, that spiritual force can actually get in the way. You can contend with God and you can pray. But there are moments when there's more going on uh, than meets the eye. There's another instance where Jesus actually runs into this. And it's the only time in the Gospels when Jesus, at first try, is not able to drive out uh, an evil spiritual thing that's going on. And Jesus gets clued into the fact that there's something different here. And so he asks, what's your name? And the demon, demons, answer back, well, we are legion, right? meaning we are many. Right? And then Jesus actually does end up driving him out. But even in this moment, this force, this dark spiritual unity, this force that is in this man, even for Jesus, it takes a second go, right? which is pretty incredible, pretty profound. Right? And, and I know this sounds weird and bizarre, and it can't be measured, and so us good Western Americans, we struggle with this. And sometimes the spiritual realm can be so fuzzy and hard to wrap our mind around. But if you think about it, it's really not very different than the physical realm as, as far as strength and numbers are concerned. Or if you're looking at a battle between two equal foes, the one who has more forces on its side is probably going to win. Right? If you think about a tug-of-war, right? if you're thinking about tug-of-war, like the number and strength of people on the other side is going to decide uh, whether or not you're going to win, how you're going to win, if you're going to win, how long it's going to take, and how much energy you're going to have to expend. Right? And so I say all this because which is when it comes to prayer... Right, the number, number of people who are praying together, it matters. Right, in Matthew, Jesus speaks to this in a positive sense. Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20 says this. It says, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Right, and again, you can't formulate, make this stuff a formula. It's not like, oh, okay, this is how it works. I get two or three people together, and we all pray in Jesus' name for this thing, and God has to answer. Right? Rabbis and teachers in the, in the East, they would often use hyperbole to make a point. He's not saying this is some kind of formula, but what he is saying is that when it comes to prayer, there is power in numbers. There is power in numbers. Right? When people, God's people come together and they pray with each other and they pray for each other, that there is power in there's power in that, right? And, and as your pastor, I just have to tell you, this is one of the many reasons why it's so incredibly important for you to be doing life in a small group, right? And not do the solo Christian thing, 
right, where sometimes I come to church, most of the time I podcast, and then I go home, and I'm not really rallied around any other believers, right? It's so important, and it doesn't matter what kind of small group it is. I don't care if it's another church's small group, Young Life, Crew, Campus Crusade, or, you know, whatever. Campus Life, as long as you're gathered with other believers and following Jesus together and supporting and encouraging each other, like, that's the stuff, right? And part of supporting one another is praying for each other, so important. It's, and this is true on a personal level, and this is true on a corporate level. Now, I want to level with you guys just a little bit. I'm just get entirely honest, all right? I've been in this ministry thing for, I don't know, going on 15 years, and I've been doing it long enough to realize, like, there's different seasons in ministry for everybody, and, and in church. There's different seasons for every church, and there's some seasons where God just seems to be saying, yes, yes, and he's pouring out his blessing, all right? The briefcase of cash is there, and he just is doing incredible things. And it just seems like nothing can stop you. And then there's seasons where things are hard and it feels like you're just pushing through mud or trying to push a rock uphill and everything you do is tough. And then there's seasons where it's, it's so tough and there's so many things going on that can't be fully explained and so many coincidences that it just seems that, that you're under attack. And there's a lot of it going on. And if I'm being entirely honest with you, I think that's where we're at right now as a community. And I was having a, a conversation with uh, one of our leaders this week. And, and I, you have to know, like, I'm not a blaming on the devil for everything kind of guy. I'm kind of on the other side of the spectrum, a little bit more skeptical. In my worst moments, a little bit more cynical. And so was this guy I'm talking to. And we were just talking. And uh, I hadn't thought about it this way. We were just talking through just some of the stuff going on. And he... And he said something, and the moment he said it, it was like the lights came on and the dots all connected. And he said, it just seems like we are on some very heavy spiritual attack right now. And I was like, good job, pastor, that never crossed your mind. You know, it didn't cross my mind until that moment. And I started to think about it, and, and uh, I hope they're okay with me saying this, but like all of the leaders that I'm connected to, every single person on the directional team right now is going through a tough season in different ways. Depression, anxiety, uh, discouragement, some disillusionment for completely different reasons, but it's all happening right now. You know, amongst some of us, our, our key volunteers and people who have played a huge role in our community, there's stuff going on in a ton of their lives. There's almost like a general sense of tiredness. You know, I'll, I'll say this, you know, financially as a church, we're very frugal. We run very light and lean. And I don't know what anybody gives. That's mostly to protect my heart, I think, but, uh, you know, like, if I'm looking at the needle, we're not going the right direction. Uh, if anything, it seems like, at least over the last six months, we actually have taken a really step back as far as our generosity is concerned. Which, by the way, doesn't suggest very good things about our hearts and what's going on right now. You know, and so I share all this because I really do believe that there's incredible power in prayer. And this is one of those seasons, just so you know, as far as the church family is concerned, we need you to pray. We need you to pray. And we need you to pray for a lot of things. We need you to pray for the discernment and wisdom for our team. We need you to pray that God would continue to make us into a generous people. Right? Money should never be the thing that holds us back. Right? And I'll even tell you this. Right? Next year, end of 2017, the lease on this place is going to be up for, uh, it's going to be done. And chances are we'll be stepping out of this space. The person we subleased, it sounds like she's going to be stepping out of this space. 
And so we're starting to look and pray about that next home for our church. And we have what could be a pretty incredible opportunity on the horizon to get our own building for a fraction of what it's worth. Right? But just, you know, we're looking around and we're like, man, if the needle keeps moving towards a lack of generosity, that's not going to be possible. In fact, you know, and, and so it's just like, and, and we're looking at a fraction of a fraction. I mean, I don't want to make money the main thing. It's just a part of the conversation. Another part of it, you know, is we're looking at this fall, right? And we've, cont- we've, we've grown as a church. If you look in that room, right, all of our classroom space is, is up just from our ministry to, like, kids that are 10 years and younger, you know, which is amazing. But it's also part of the reason that we have to move out of this space, right? But we, when we launched Mosaic at the Bay, we sent some of our most committed volunteers and leaders to North Lincoln, which is great. But what that has created for us, that just, you know, the Trade Center campus is some big holes and gaps and needs, Right, and we need, and so this fall, like I'm really excited. We're going to create some opportunities for you to step in and really dig deeper and discover how God has uniquely created you and help you connect you to the ministry that God has for you in our church and in our city. But just so you know, none of that matters unless we become a people that gets off the bench and into the game. Right, none of that matters unless we realize that church is not something we go to and it doesn't even exist for me or for you, but rather that we are the church and we exist to partner with God to help meet the needs of the world. That's got to be our heartbeat as a church. And just so you know, right now, it's not, generally speaking. And so we need your prayers. And the truth is, like, we need you to pray. You need you to pray. And there, are, I know some of the stories we represent in this room. There are people in this community that need you to pray for what's going on in their life right now. So here's what I want to do. And I'm sorry I went long, but I just felt like there were some things that need to be said this morning. But what I want to do... Uh, as we transition into time of worship, is I want to create just a moment to apply some of this right now, to pray for one another. All right, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to do something that takes a little bit of courage, and I know as far as Mosaic goes, we're not really the stand and clap and raise our hands and super participatory kind of a church, but I'm going to ask you to participate if you need prayer. Right, if you're in a season of life where right now you could use a church rallying around you and pray, in just a moment I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're not going to give you the microphone and ask you to confess, what is it you need prayer about? Not going to do that. Could be anything. Right, maybe you're in a season and part of the reason you're not giving as much as you would like to is things are really hard right now. And I want to be very sensitive to that because that happens to all of us. Maybe you need us to rally around you and pray for God's provision in your family and in your life. And maybe there's something going on with relationships with your kids or relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's something at work. And maybe spiritually you've just felt like you're in a funk. Connecting with God has been difficult, if not impossible. Prayers have felt empty. And you just felt like disconnected from yourself, disconnected from God. It could be any number of things. Maybe it's a physical ailment that you need healing that you need us to pray for. And, if, and what we're going to do is, as you stand, is we're just going to take a couple minutes and we're all going to rally around you in prayer. Right? And so, if you need prayer in the season, would you do me a favor and just stand right now so we can pray for you? I'll give you a second. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's not normal. But man, if we can't be honest with each other and pray for each other, we're in trouble. So we're going to pray for you. Here's what I want us to do. For those of you who stand, who are standing. By the way, I'm standing. All right? I need your prayer on a personal level too. 
Um, if you're standing, uh, let's go back to that definition of faith. And what I want to encourage you to do is to envision in your mind the answer to that prayer. Right? The promise, the thing that you need. What would it look like? And I want you to just fixate on what it looks like in your mind for God to come through for you in that area of your life that you need it right now. And for those of us who are sitting, uh, I just want you to adopt one or two people right now who's sitting around you. And we're going to take a couple minutes. I want you to adopt them, and I want you to pray for them. Pray for them in the power that is in the name of Jesus. All right, let's, let's do that right now. Lord God, we pray for every one of the needs that are represented in this room right now. Lord God, we pray your blessing on these men and women who are standing in this moment. Lord God, for those who right now are walking through a difficult season financially and they don't know how their needs are going to be met and how they're going to turn the corner and get out from under this thing, Lord God, we pray your blessing and your provision on them. That you are the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Lord God, we ask that you would slaughter one and send it to their front door. Provide for their needs and more. Lord God, for those who are struggling with a physical ailment, it's a health issue, it's real, it's scary. Lord God, nothing is too big for you. In fact, you seem to be a God who enjoys coming through. You're certainly a God who can, and Lord God, we pray for healing. That you would take away that pain. You would take away that ailment. That you would bring full healing to them. Lord God, we pray for the marriages that are represented. Lord, for those who are just in a tough season. And maybe at moments even, there's moments where they wonder, are we going to make it? Can we make it? Should we make it? Lord God, we pray the healing work of your spirit over their marriage. Lord God, that you would bring them together in grace and in truth. They would bring about restoration and reconciliation. God, we pray for the other relationships that are represented. Perhaps it's with a child. Perhaps it's with a friend or a co-worker, Lord God. Bring your healing into that relationship. Lord God, in this moment, I just ask that you would bring your assurance of your presence, of your grace, of your love, that you would wrap your arms around each and every person. We just pray your blessing all over them. We pray these things in the power of your name, all God's people said, Amen.